We're going to start Leviticus 26. Let's read verse 3 and part of verse 3, and let's jump down to 6 through 8, and that'll, that'll be all I have today. Um, it says, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, verse 6, I shall also grant peace in the land so that you may lie to make, there'll be no one to make you afraid. I shall also eliminate harmful animals from the land and no sword will pass through your land. Instead, you will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. Amen. Hallelujah. I like that. I like that, right? He said, if you'll walk in my statutes, if you'll be faithful to me, five of you will put a hundred to flight. And a hundred of you will put 10,000 to flight. God being my helper, I want to preach about the power of multiplication. Power of multiplication. I thank God for addition, but I'm ready for some multiplication. I'm ready for God to multiply some things in our life. I thank God that he's had it. But I'm ready for him to multiply. And I believe it's possible. Father, bless the word, bless the hearer. God, we believe that your word is for this day. Help us to see the power of multiplication that you want to bring to the body of Christ as we unite together, as we interweave and interlock our powers and gifts and faith together that we are greater together than we are as a single individual let us see that Lord that we need one another and that with our strength together there is greater things that we've ever imagined immediately the power begins to multiply and the outworking of the Holy Ghost will multiply to the saving of souls. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you, we pray, God, there will be an opportunity for them to know you, God, in the power of your resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Clap your hands to the Lord. Tell somebody you're going to help me. God bless you. You can be seated. If you're a guest here today, just let us say we're so honored that you chose to worship with us on this Sunday afternoon. We know there are many opportunities and places of worship, but we're glad you're here. Amen. If you have not filled out a guest card or downloaded the QR code out in the hall, please do. We, we won't bother you. We just want to say thanks for coming. We will not spam you. We will not bug you. We will just say, I'm so glad you were here. So I don't, I don't know about you, but I like Peanuts cartoons. Now, some of you may not even know what that is. Any, some of you know what Peanuts is? Charlie Brown, that, that helps, doesn't it, right? Charlie Brown, that helps, right? You've probably seen the very bad animated, you know, Christmas special, right? Compared to all the animation and CG and stuff we have now, when you watch that, you're like, this is rough. Right? This is rough. But I love the whole thing. And so when I was a kid, I used to read the paper. That's what we, we read, the funnies. I know for some of you, are like, what is a paper? Yes, I, I realize that. You know, I'm telling you, we read it. And uh, in one of the Peanuts cartoon, Lucy, you know, Lucy, she's got an attitude. She needs the Holy Ghost, I think. But 
Lucy demanded that Linus change the TV channels, threatening with him with her fist if he didn't. And Linus said, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? And she said, these five fingers, says Lucy, individually they are nothing. But when I curl them together into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Satan, our adversary, doesn't want to make war with the church. He really doesn't. He doesn't want to fight the church collectively. He doesn't want to fight us banded together. He doesn't want to come in here today while we're worshiping, right? While we're working together. He understands that the promise that the gates of hell shall not destroy the church keeps him from affecting the global body and the collective body. Amen. We know that. That he can't win against the church. And so he understands that the promise of power and protection are promised to us corporately. Corporately, not individually. We in America, we read everything in the Bible as individuals. That I should do this. That I should outreach. But if you read the epistles, every one of the commands was to you all. You all do it. Not just you and you have your own relationship with God, but you all do it. And as we all do it, the power is multiplied, right? So we have a promise that as we are together and unified, that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the church. But it does not mean the enemy won't have success with individual saints. It's not an individual promise. It is a collective promise. The church, the gathering of the body. And all of us have seen that at times he can be successful with individuals. And Satan is compared to a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices or his scheme. Much like a pride of lions hunting a herd of wildebeests, he wants to cull and isolate from the herd, right? He doesn't want to fight the whole herd. The pride doesn't want to go against the whole herd because they understand there's power and there's safety in the herd. But what do they do? If you ever noticed and you've watched these uh, nature films, you'll watch they want to call out of the herd the weak, the young, the aged, and the feeble. We've all seen those those. That scheme, that process, these predators know that there is power in the herd. And I don't know, I've always loved the videos where uh, the mighty kings of the jungle, the lion, are on the run when just a few Cape Bull buffaloes turn on the predators. You've seen that one? You know, they think they're winning, and then all of a sudden the bulls say, we've had enough of this stuff. And they turn, and when they get together, and a few of them get together, they can send their enemies running. And so you have to understand, Satan waited until Eve was alone before he began his temptation. He didn't come at Adam and Eve. He waited till Eve was by herself. He understands the power of having you alone and isolated from your headship and your covering. Can I get a witness? He waited. His success was dependent on her isolation from Adam. Had she just called her husband 
Or had she just had him confirm the command of God that they had been given, Satan's schemes would have been destroyed. But she never sought counsel outside of herself. She never sought the help that was available. She was on her own to deal with the questions of what was right and what she should do. Don't underestimate your enemy. I know that he is a defeated foe, and I know Satan defeated him on the cross. But I want you to understand, he convinced one-third of the angels who had seen the glory of God and the glory of God in creation that they'd be better off under him. You haven't seen what they saw. You haven't had the experiences they've, had, they've experienced. But he was able to tell them, listen, I'll be a better leader. And ultimately got them kicked out of heaven. So don't think that he can't come in and try to divide. He was able to divide out of that a host of people who decided to go with them or angels that decided to go. We can't underestimate his power to divide. And everyone knows that in these past two years that the media and the cultures tried to divide us. They tried to divide us around Race and culture and background and everyone's being divided into their subgroup. And you don't have an identity apart from whatever subgroup you're in. And if you don't meet that group, then the other group is against you. Well, I'm, I'm thankful that in spite of all the efforts of the enemy, that we can come together as a church, as a multicultural church from different backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities, and what we have together is greater than what might separate us. That we've all been washed in the same blood. We've all been filled with the same spirit. That what, what binds us is greater than what tries to separate us. Thank God. Because I, I know that the political winds try to pull us apart. And who we're for and what we believe and all that stuff. But I'm here to tell you, neither one of those political parties have shed any blood for me. I just want you to make you aware of that. I'll never forget myself and Chris were talking during... You know, all of this stuff, especially 2020 and all the things that were happening in our culture and, and the difficult things. And, and Chris, Chris and I both said we had to step out and get a hold of some of our saints and said, Listen, you're more passionate on Facebook about politics than you are about Jesus in church. Both of us. Both of us had to talk to some people and say, Wait a minute. That's all right if you want to be passionate. But don't be more passionate for people who don't have any investment in you than the one who died and shed his blood for you. That's all right. But I'm not going to give some man my passion when the one who died for me just asked for my praise and my worship. I don't know about you. <laughs> and so I remember when the George Floyd thing happened. I thought... Long and hard about it. And I watched the videos and it was terrible miscarriage. It was abuse of power and all of that. But I watched the video and I made one statement and I'll make it here again today. I realized that the people videoing could yell stop and could yell you shouldn't do this, get off of him and all that other thing. But I thought if I'm standing there, do I have the compassion do I have the courage to stand up for what's good, to put myself in a place where I get arrested too or beaten? 
or pepper sprayed. I said, if we can't answer that in the affirmative, everything we say after that is just commentary of a guilty conscience. No, no, no. I mean, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, as a Christian. That means if they're in danger and if they're in trouble, I'm supposed to put myself at risk for them. That's what the church is supposed to do. Somebody as a believer should have stepped in and said, you can't do that to my brother. You can't do that. You'll have to do it to me too. That's what I believe. Everything after that, all the talk about justice is because we don't have the courage in the moment to step in. We can video it for posterity, but nobody stepped in and said, if you take him in like that, you have to take me. Because if two or three would have got in there like that, then the whole thing would have been over. And I'm so thankful. That with all of that going on, that tries to pull at the fabric of the body of Christ, that we understand, hallelujah, what holds us together is that we have a Savior together. We have someone who intervened, took our punishment, hallelujah, obeyed on our behalf, and credited that righteousness to our account. And that is more powerful than anything else. My identity in Christ. Your identity as my brother and my sister is more powerful than anything in the culture. I was watching this video this week. It troubled me greatly. I was watching a couple of very knowledgeable people talk about the metaverse. Now, I'm not a tech guy, okay? So I had to go and get some information about this. Some of you may know that Facebook is now known as Meta, Right? And so I didn't know what that was all about, change the name. I don't know what they're doing. But as I began to listen to these very learned people talk about the metaverse, it started to frighten me. Because most of us who've been raised going outside to play and, you know, and all the stuff we did, you know, riding bikes. When I was a kid, coming in was a sin. Right? I'm being facetious, you know what I mean. But, but you, you, you've heard, have you ever heard this before? Don't be running in and out of here, you let all the cold air in. You ain't got to worry about that, these kids today. They stay in. They ain't going out there where it's hot. Yeah, because we had one single unit in the house, and it was usually in the living room. And so that's where the door was. You letting all the cold air, you come in, you stay in. You go out, you stay out. We knew. You stay out. We go in, we got to stay in. Don't want to stay in. So, so I know this ideal of a metaverse, a virtual reality, to me and some of my generation, like, that's dumb. But think about kids who've been raised with a tablet and a phone all their life. And now you get to put on a VR headphone and you can be anybody you want in a virtual world. And all your friends are in the virtual world. You think about that the technology keeps improving and towards you can't tell reality from virtual. Right? And it keeps improving. And then we have a generation who are raised in a virtual world. This is so funny. I'm sorry. I saw a lady that was in the metaverse, I think. It was in the metaverse and she complained that she was virtually uh, sexually touched in the metaverse. 
She's in her own house with a VR thing on. There's nobody there except somebody else's avatar. Somebody else's avatar got too close to her. <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking. That's a true story. I was like, girl. We don't even have to have real offenses anymore. They just have to be virtual offenses. But, but he, they started saying, they said, think about as you get kids who are raised in this. He said, then those uh, cultures who are saying no to the internet and, 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 and keeping you off of it and stuff like that are growing powerful all the time. And think about what happens when you have one thing happen to the grid. And all these people who've lived their life in virtual reality no longer have it. They're going to be run over by any army that wants to run them over. You understand? That frightened me. I was, these are very smart people talking about this. That's why you see people who made all these apps. They don't let their kids on them. They don't let their kids on them. That should tell you something. Watch the social experiment. All these people who were the designers say, I don't let my kids on them. Or if I do, I limit it greatly. Isn't it interesting? Not only was it Eve who was isolated when the temptation took place, but in 2 Samuel 11, 1, it said, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they brought destruction on the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. He stayed behind, isolated from his men, isolated from his duty and his purpose. And the very next verse says, he saw a woman bathing. When he was behind, when he was isolated, had he been where he was supposed to be among the men, if that temptation come, he would have been well able to stand against it. He would have been embarrassed among others to do what he was willing to do in private. All of us know the pain and the suffering of David's adultery and murder. I preached on it just a few Sundays ago called Severe Mercy. All of it could have been avoided if he hadn't been isolated from his men and his place where he was supposed to be. Had he been leading instead of lounging, he would not have been vulnerable. We all know that there is a power in a group for good or evil, right? We know that. In a group, in a crowd, in a mob, right? We've all seen people do things they would never do alone when they're around a group of people, right? How many of you grew up and the first bad thing you did was at the urging of some other people? You liars. (laughs) You should have said amen, right? It was at the urging of some other people. The first, one of the first real rules you broke about sneaking out was at the urging of a friend. You know it. Maybe more than one friend. Come on, we're going to get called. Come on, come on, come on. Maybe they taught you. Maybe they called you a sissy. Maybe they did whatever they had to do if you're among guys. Come on, man. You know, all of us have been in that. So it, it works for ill and it works for good. We all understand that. We've all done stupid things at the urging or taunting of friends. We could have never done on our own, right? And when we did it, guess what? We got in trouble and we told mom and dad, what'd they say? Well, if they jump off a cliff, you're going to jump too?
You gonna jump too? We all got that lecture, right? No. It seemed like a fun thing at the time, you know. They were they were calling me sissy. I don't care what they call you. We know it works for good and evil. We're also aware that there are temptations that we submit to privately that we would be at least too embarrassed to participate in publicly. Right? I know our motivation for rod. But when that is waning, a friend can help us through. Somebody to talk to. Somebody to help us. Somebody we can confess to. Somebody to bear our burdens. Because all of us go through times when we're not where we should be. And being alone is not a good place. Being alone with the tempter. Being alone with the temptation is not a good thing. That's why Paul, he said, flee sexual immorality. He said, you don't withstand that. You run. You are not equipped, young man. Old man, you are not equipped for that. You run. Find some other people. Find some help. That's the... In many of the other places, he says, having done all the stand, stand therefore. But in that case, he said, run. Joseph ran. He was smart. I'm not equipped for this. I can't stay here. I got to go. You with me? Think about this. If we were brave enough to tell someone we respected what we were tempted with, that would be enough to overcome almost all of our battles and temptations. But we handle them alone. We handle them isolated. We're weak. We're disconnected. And he calls us from the crowd and starts talking to us and tempting us. I think about Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. If he had a friend among the disciples, and I don't know if he did, that he'd have shared his conflicts with about Jesus' identity and purpose, the story might be different. If he might have told somebody, you know what, I don't know if he's the right one. I, I don't know if he's doing what I want him to do, you know, what I expect him to do before he went and talked to the Sanhedrin about selling him. Maybe he could have avoided that. But we find no record of anyone interjecting. Even when Jesus says, he that dips up with me is he that will deceive me, and, Right? They know when that happens who it is. And none of them have the character or the courage to say, bro, where are you going? When he steps up to leave. None of his other disciples who've seen miracles and power say, what are you doing? You're fixed to betray the Messiah. What are you thinking? Think about how many things you could get through if somebody loved you enough. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? Because it's your true friends who'll say, hey, what's wrong with you? Wake up. They don't just come pat you on the back when you're about to ruin your life and go, go ahead, buddy. Those people on social media who tell you that stuff, they're not for you. They're not your real friends. They're a group of people who don't know you. But you need somebody who loves you enough to get in your face and say, this is good. This is not going to end well. Turn around. I love you. I want to, you're better than this. That's why the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? 
And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And I realize we have in the last two years faced a pandemic that has challenged the wisdom of gathering for church. And no doubt we have had members who become very sick and even in ICU. And unfortunately, we lost two. Robert Maldonado and Elizabeth. I, and I was there. I was there for both of them. I was there in the hospital the day it happened. I was there before it happened. I was there for the funerals. And my heart weeps. And I'm, I'm not going to relitigate people's reasons and decisions about this. All I want to do is, in the midst of the media coverage, I want to add a little truth to it. In the midst. That's all I'm trying to do. That it's not good for us to be alone. God looked at Adam alone in the garden and said it's not good for man to be alone. We make decisions in private we would never make with the counsel of others. We make decisions about temptation in private that we would never do if, we, if someone we respected knew about it. You think about that. If everything that we did in private was made public, we'd be a different person. But if you would just make it public and say, I'm struggling, I'm having a difficulty, right? That's why he said, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one who's overtaken in a fault, right? <laughs> Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, right? It's the restoration that takes a group effort. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, he said, if someone is continuing in sin, unrepented, he said, go and confront them, talk to them. If they won't listen, take two or three witnesses. If not, then take the whole church, right? The point is not to embarrass. The point is not to humiliate. The point is to save and change them from that course, praise God. That's what the power of people do. One person can't do it, then take three. If three people can't do it, then take the whole church. But love somebody enough to say, I'm not going to let you be lost. I'm not going to let you ruin your life. I'm not going to let you regret this. I'm going to get involved. We need one another. We need one another. Individuals in isolation. It's not spiritually wise. We need one another. Together our power of resistance is multiplied. Solomon says one fall alone, the likelihood that they stay down is increased. Our enemy is a thief that desires to steal, kill, and destroy. He would love to attack us alone, but two can resist him. He would love to get us alone, but if we just had some help, somebody that would bind arms with me, somebody that would get arm to arm with me, and then you got to take us both on. Now you got to deal with his prayer life and my prayer life. You got to deal with his anointing and my anointing. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm going to stay there for a minute because I felt that in the Holy Ghost. When I was, when I was an evangelist years ago, a very wise pastor told me, he said, listen, he said, evangelizing is like trying to find a stud in a wall. I don't know if any of you can do it by hearing I have to have a stud finder. Or I have to measure out 16 inches to each center and then I can figure it out. Right? But a lot of good people can hit that drywall and go, doot, 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 doot. Oh, that's it. He said, when you find that stud in the spirit, he said, you just preach up and down that stud. You just stay right on that. So I'm going to stay on this for a minute, right? Because he said a threefold cord is not easily broken. 
Brother Chris, come help me here. I'm getting these, these powerful people. These guys are far stronger than me. I haven't been working out. I've been fasting. They can, they can fast and work out and, and increase their gains. But if me and Dyron were together, stay right there for a minute. If me and Dyron are back to back. And here's what we have to do. Is many times in our effort to hide our weakness from our brother, we expose it to the enemy. And my weakness is the back. Because I don't have any armor there. I have the breastplate of righteousness. I have the helmet of salvation. I have feet with a shot of preparation of the gospel. I have the belt of truth. That's all one unit, right? But I have no room for retreat. So if I get back to back with him, man, I'm good. But still, we have kind of a weakness right here, don't we? We got a weakness at the side. All right? But if I take Chris and we take a threefold cord and we make like a, we make it like this. What you going to do with that? What you going to do with that? And we lock arms. And everywhere you attack, we just turn to the enemy. We're not going to be taken. You're going to take one of us? you got to take us all. You're going to try to take me? My friends are going to stand with me in this moment. We got you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I want you to see that. Our sweet sister, this is the ideal behind two-by-two two ministry, was to try to get some people together, together that they understand I'm not alone, right? But even better than that, Sister Renisha started talking about a back-to-back ministry. But you know what? To be fully functional, it has to be three. And that's why Jesus said, whether two or three are gathered in my name. You know, inside that little triangle where we were, you know who was in the middle of that? He said, when I can get you to link up, when I get you not stand there alone and try to do it by yourself, he said, I'll come in the midst of that. And then you're able to stand against any enemy. Five will chase a hundred. A hundred will chase 10,000. It begins to multiply. <laughs> See, when, when saints stand fast in one spirit and strive together, in faith of the gospel, they stand their ground. They withstand the enemy and maintain truth. Nothing is impossible to them. Unity of purpose works even when people are out of the will of God. Did you know that? Unity of purpose works when people are out of the will of God. At the Tower of Babel, they were told to scatter and multiply the earth and subdue it and make it like Eden. It was the same same command that was given to Adam. But they settled in a place called Shinar. And started to build a tent. Build a temple. A ziggurat is what it was. That reached to heaven. What are they doing? They are denying the command of God and say, well, You're going to come on our terms. We'll make something so awesome, so, so incredible for a name for ourselves That you'll come down on our terms into our temple. And God was like, No sir. I'll come on your terms. I'll tell you when to make it. I'll tell you where it needs to be. And I'll tell you its dimensions. Right? So he goes down. Watch what the Bible says in Genesis 11 and 6. The Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they all have the same language. And this is what they have started to do and purpose to do. Now nothing which they plan to do will be impossible to them. They're not in the will of God. They're denying the command of God. But he said, hey, when they get together and they start with one purpose, he said, nothing will be impossible. And God himself has to come down and confound their languages to stop that situation. If we as a church would ever understand the power of togetherness, the power of unity, the power of standing back to back in a battle, 
There'd be no, no situation we couldn't handle. No battle we couldn't win. The doctrine of the togetherness is taught in the fable of the bundle of sticks. Father teaches his son, bring me a stick. He said, break it. He breaks it with ease. Bring me another stick. He puts them together. He breaks the two. But as he begins to bind and bundle the sticks together, all of a sudden the son realizes, I can't break them when they're together. I can break them when you separate them. It's the same as a threefold cord. If you were to take the strands separately, you could break them easily. But when you start to interweave and interconnect them. And right now what we're doing is going through a time of small groups and launching. And what we're trying to do is interweave our lives together. Interconnect them. So that whatever comes against you, you know there's somebody that's got your back. And there's somebody who's got your flank. And there's somebody with you. That you're not facing this alone. That you can call for prayer. That you can reach people with. I heard this story and it amazed me. What's the, what's the evangelist's last name? Josh. Josh Harry. Josh Harry, a mighty evangelist. And he was praying for people at a revival. A little boy comes up to him and said he had a grandmother who was sick with cancer. He said, what do I do? He said, well, you just say in the name of Jesus. The little boy runs off. He comes back with a piece of paper. He said, now what do I say? He said, well, you say, and he starts writing it down. In the name of Jesus, I command you by faith that you be healed. You know what I mean? He writes it all down. The guy goes on. A couple of weeks later, he comes back to that church, and the little boy, what's he, five or six, maybe seven? He can write, so maybe seven, and he's standing out in the parking lot. Brother Harry comes by, and he says, hey, Brother Harry, you remember me? He said, I remember you. He said, guess what? I did exactly what you wrote down and what we wrote down. And I pray for my grandmother and she has no more, no more cancer. No more cancer. He's seven years old. He just said, I believe in my faith. I believe that if I had my faith with the evangelist's faith, we can do anything. It can happen if we bind together. Everybody looks at the day of Pentecost and they go, wow, Peter was awesome. Peter was the guy who got to preach the message. But, but you got to read verse 14 of that chapter. They, they said, these guys are drunk on new wine. They didn't know what it meant, the tongue speaking, the outpouring of the Spirit. And Peter, it says, taking his stand with the other 11. We just passed right over that. There were 12 people standing there. He was the spokesman. But what they were saying is we got his back. Everything that he says, everything that he preaches, we're with. Amen. We agree with 100%. He's got the anointing of the Spirit. I wish my church would understand that. I wish my church would understand that when you stand with me and that when you get behind me, amen, that not only is my power there and my anointing, but all of your anointing is behind the Word of God. That's why there was a mighty outpouring. That's why 3,000 were added to the church. Because all 12 of them stood together. That's why those three Hebrew children could withstand their temptation. I'm hurrying. Those three Hebrew children in Daniel 3, 15. They look around, everybody else is bowing. And the king realized it. He said, if you do not worship, you will immediately be thrown into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what, what God is there that can rescue from my hands? I love that question. You're about to find out, sir. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. Not one of them. All of them replied together. Had he got one of them alone, maybe he would have been successful. Maybe he would have been. But with the three of them there, like I showed you, back to back, they replied in one voice. Here's what they said. Nebuchadnezzar, we are not in need of an answer to give you concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace blazing fire. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods and worship the golden statue that you have set up. They did that by the power of unity. They stood together in the face of the most powerful empire of the world. Three men said, you're not gonna make us bow. I love what they said. Even if not, we will be delivered from your hand because if we're dead, you can't ward us around anymore. And we'll be immediately in the presence of God. Have you ever seen this in the power of multiplication? I want to answer this question. I, I found it. it. said, if a wealthy friend offered you 25000 per day for 30 days, or a penny doubled every day for 30 days, which would you take? Very wise. Right? You've heard this one? Well, I'm sorry. Under the sun. So if you add 25,000 per month, you would end up with a whopping 750,000. Now check out the mind-blowing math when you double the penny for 30 days. After one week, you have 64 cents. You're wishing you to take the 750, aren't you? Right? But even after three weeks, you would have over 10,000 instead of 525,000. You're still way behind what the other offer was. At, at day 27, you would have 671,000. Still less than the 750,000 you would get by adding 25,000 to 30. But if your wealthy friend offered to double the penny for 30 days and not 27 days, the last three days demonstrate the power of multiplication. You would have over $5 million to use. $5 million. In verse 8 of our text, and I hate to take a text and not use it, but I'm going to use it now. Verse 8 of our text, he said, five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase a thousand. Let's do the math. Okay? If five chase a hundred, if my math is right, one chases twenty. You with me? Right? Because five divided by a hundred is twenty. Now with me right there? Okay. So, and he says a hundred chases ten thousand. So look at the math here. So I go from 20 to 100, that's 20 times 5 in this far corner, right? I go from 5 to 100, that's 20 on this side too, right? That's the multiple. So if I keep that going and I take 100 times 20 like I've done in the other two, I get 2,000 and look what happens. 2,000 chases a million. The power of multiplication that starts happening. When we are together and back to back and when we don't let him call us off and isolate us from one another. You think about that for a moment. Let's say you are a super Christian and you, you led a thousand people to Christ for 36 years. Every year you led a thousand people to be born of the water and the spirit, right? In 36 years you'd have 36,000 people, right? But notice this.
You just won three people and discipled those three three people to win three people in the next year. That's all. Watch what starts to happen. In year two, you have nine people. This is what we should do for church plants. <laughs> just make disciples. If we all just won people and made disciples, made them willing to replicate themselves and have enough skill in the scripture to replicate themselves. Watch what happens. In year three, we got 27 people. All right. Year four, we have 81 people. And this is not counting for the original one continuing what he was doing. This is terminal. Okay, we're just saying all he did was win three people that could win three people each. That's all we're saying. We're not saying that those people continue because that would be exponential, right? Year five, we have 243 people. Year six, we have 729 people. Year eight, we have 2,187 people. I'm sorry, year seven, year eight. 6,561, year 9, 19,683, year 10, 59,049, year 11, 177,147, year 12, 531,441, the next year is 1.5 million people. So even if you were a super Christian and you could win 1,000 a year in 36 years, you'd only win 36,000. If you could just win three, that could replicate themselves. Look at the multiplication and the exponential growth. Look at that. You could change the history, your, your background, your neighborhood. You could change all that. I, I, I heard this at, because of the times that I went and found the video, but Tess Stewart is the one that made me aware that sometimes, you know, we're so embarrassed about our weaknesses, about the things we struggle with, about the sins, and, and we're embarrassed to tell somebody. And so a lot of times in hiding our weakness from our brother, we expose it to the enemy. We expose it to the enemy. For him to make a foothold there. And then alone we deal with it. We deal with the condemnation because we can't tell anybody. So the enemy comes heaping condemnation on us and say you're terrible. You shouldn't be lifting your hands. You shouldn't be serving God. You shouldn't even go. Huh? Anybody been there? You've been alone with this self-talk? And sometimes you're adding to it. You're right. You know what I mean? I shouldn't claim to be a minister. I've done that to myself. Do you know what? Self-punishment is self-atonement. You know what you're saying when you punish yourself with that kind of talk? You're saying, God, Jesus didn't do enough good, good enough job on the cross because he took your punishment. He took the punishment of your sin. And you're saying, you know what? You didn't quite get it all, so I'm going to punish myself. I know you don't mean to say that, but that's what we're doing when we get down on ourselves and we start agreeing with the enemy. But if we could get next to somebody and somebody could start breathing into our life and speaking over us and you're going to make it. You're going to get through this. I've been through it. If you could get a brother Ezekiel. Come up here, brother Ezekiel. If you could get someone like this who's been through it and been to prison and been falsely accused and had his business lost and still serving God. If you could get a hold of him and let him tell you where he's been. You get hand in hand with him. You're going to make it through this. You're going to make it. Hallelujah. Then if I get Brother Ed over here, and the three of us, Hallelujah. now you got no, we got to make a pyramid. Help me, Jesus. Here we go. We hadn't done this before. 
What you gonna do now, devil? What you gonna do now, enemy? Because I got no weaknesses. Now you gotta come through my prayer life and his prayer life and his anointing and his power. Hallelujah. Thank you, brothers. That's what we're trying to do. Is two are better than one. And three are far better than two. You know, I've found that people who've been in battle together have the strongest bonds. Military people who serve together, who've lost ones together. There's a bond that never ends with them. And what I'm trying to tell you is if we could get together like that body of Christ in this end hour, the exponential power of our faith and our praise and our witness and our evangelism can start to make things change exponentially if we can get together and there is a bond where we begin to love one another because we've sacrificed for one another. We prayed for one another and we've been in the hospital together and those testimonies that I gave you start to be your testimony. They start to be your testimony that you laid hands on the sick and they recover. I believe in the priesthood of the believers. I believe every one of us is a priest. Every one of us is anointed to do exploits. It's not just in my hands. And so today as you go back there to the small group fair, you need to remember this. This is what's behind it. You need to understand that you need people. And isolation and aloneness are not good for us. I would not have made it would it not been for the people of God in my life. And it has been a solace to know that I could reach out and I could talk to Dyer or I could call Brother Bill Law or I could, I could talk to anybody else during this time. And I knew I wasn't alone and I wasn't fighting this by myself and that it wasn't just my dream, it was our dream. I'll never forget, and I'll quit with this. When we were a really small church and we had our first assimilation course, and man, I knew people were kicking the tires and going, man, what does this place have to offer me? We didn't have a youth group. We didn't have a... We put up slides on the wall, you know what I mean? Overhead projector for the sound. and We were in a borrowed building, and, and I would all tell them, I would say, one thing you will learn here. I said, you could go somewhere else and attach yourself to something larger that's going. It's already moving in the right direction, already has success, already starting to multiply. I said, one thing you'll find out here is if it's up to you, can you do it? If it's up to you to save someone, if it's up to you to pray someone through, if it's up to you to give the Bible study that brings them to faith, can you do it? You can attach yourself to somewhere where all of that is going on and kind of ride the wave. But I feel the Spirit of God. And the power of multiplicity in this end hour as we come together that God is going to start to multiply our efforts. Multiply what we're doing together. And you're going to see amazing testimonies of people who are delivered and free who come to God. Stand with me all over the building. You're going to see it. I told the staff this last Monday, Brother Taclamarian great hero. I didn't know him personally, but a great hero of the faith, the Ethiopian superintendent who saw miracles. I mean, I've seen videos over that place where there's a glory cloud of purple over that place. They saw people rise from the dead in that place. Healings and miracles over, I think the name of the place is Warsaw, I think. Is that right? 
Wara, Wara. That's where they had their camp meeting. Great, mighty miracles. And Brother Teclamarian used to say this. He said, I don't pray for revival. He said, I don't pray for harvest. He said, I pray for unity. And revival and harvest is the outflow of unity. He said, I pray that we come together. That we all speak the same thing. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said, walk worthy of your calling. In unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's walking worthy. That when we realize what I can do when we're together. It's greater than what I can do on my own. This is the very thing behind me adding staff. Because I got to a place where I couldn't minister to everybody who was here. I couldn't reach everybody. I couldn't go to every hospital visit. And I understood they needed that. So I began to take people and say, would you go? Would you help? Would you make sure they're there? And it's not that I don't love that person. It's I can't be in all those places. And they are a representative of me. And so today, before you go back there and look and just go, what interests me? Think this, I need people. I need people in my life. And this is one opportunity along with other ministries for me to join hands with somebody. And not be on my own, not be alone.